What's up, you guys? I am Micah Folsom, and you're listening to the Do Your Crap Podcast. I was overwhelmed, uninspired, and unfulfilled, and I knew there had to be a different way to do life. Turns out, there totally is. And I found my calling in helping people learn and do the unsexy habits that build a legendary life. Each and every week, I'm going to help you bust through the crap that's holding you back and break down the simple habits and mindset shifts that will help you rock every aspect of your life. Are you ready to do the things that most people won't so that you can live the life that most people can't? Here we go. Welcome back to the Do Your Crap Podcast. This is your host, Micah Folsom, and we have an incredible guest today. Do you feel like I say that? Every single time we have a guest, it's because we have the best guests ever. Today with us, we have Dr. Abigail Lev, who is a psychotherapist, mediator, author, and executive coach in San Francisco Bay Area. Dr. Lev is the director of the Bay Area CBT Center, a clinic that specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy to help individuals and couples break through unhelpful patterns, develop healthier habits, and improve all areas of life. She's co-authored three different books on relationships, and she is the founder of CBT Online, an online platform that connects people with online therapists who specialize in CBT and offer online CBT resources. Y'all, I am so excited to dig in with her. Let's turn it over to our conversation. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, you guys, I am so excited. We have Dr. Abby Lev with us. Her actual name is pronounced what? I'm not even going to try it. Avigail. Yes, I love it. So beautiful. But just tell us who you are. Tell, tell the listeners how you got to like into this industry. What got you interested? A little bit about your story. Sure, yeah. I guess when I was younger, I, I kind of felt a little lost and I was like, what's happening in this world and what, what makes people happy? And, 
you know, what provides meaning? We're all kind of born into this world and then we die. What, what do we do with all of this? And I, I was very stuck on that, like needing to kind of figure out the meaning of life. Um, and so I decided to take a couple of psychology courses and I just loved it. You know, um, I loved it. And since then I've been uh, a therapist and I'm the director of the Bay Area CBT Center. And we are a group practice. So I have several other psychologists. And, you know, what I think is really important is that we hold ourselves accountable and we walk the walk. So we, you know, we're consulting, we're holding ourselves responsible, we're doing the work ourselves. And I think it's really important as a therapist to know what it's like to be a client and, and to do the work. Yeah. So I have uh, this group of practice in San Francisco, and now I also have a CBT online, and that is a platform for people to be able to get connected with online therapists that specialize in cognitive behavioral therapy. Many people say they do CBT, but uh, not all of them actually do it and do it effectively. So this is a platform where I vet all the psychologists. We hold ourselves accountable. We do effective work. Uh, it also includes online courses and online webinars, uh, videos and worksheets and questionnaires that we, we could talk about some of these questionnaires yeah. that are available on the website. But I like to make it, uh, I want to be, I want people to be having the resources for these cognitive behavioral therapy tools, even if they're not in therapy. I love it. This is so needed. I feel like, especially with everything going on in the world, like this work is so important. And I, I love that this is just what you're all about at what age, this is so interesting to me. At what age were you really like, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Was that super early? It, it, it started at 12. That's it's, so cool. Yeah, I was in science class and I remember I was looking at my friend and I was like, why are we learning this? Like, we're all going to die. Like, why does this matter? I think it's so powerful though. She looked at me like I had like eight heads and I was <laughs> like, like, huh. Why are you wondering this right now? She's like, <laughs> right. we just are. We just are. Like, no, this we're going to have a quiz but, soon. <laughs> and that impacts everything though. Like when you understand truly what you're here for, what life is all about, like it changes everything and changes your behaviors. It changes your thoughts. It changes just it changes your entire life. So I love that that was ignited within you so young. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't love it then. I thought I was a bit of a freak, but I'm really appreciative of it now in my adult life. I love and it. I, okay went through all my existential crises early in life. <laughs> and you went through those so that you could then help and empower and equip so many others. So that's part of the meaning of life, right? It's right? our interconnectedness and, and helping one another. That's so true. Okay. So we were chatting before this, a kind of about what direction we wanted to go. And she brought something up that I had actually never heard of before. So I've, I'm very familiar with identities and these, these beliefs that we carry and how they impact our life. And the word that you use to describe these is what? Schemas. Schemas. And we are going to like this whole time, this whole episode is going to be directly dedicated to these because I was so intrigued. There's 11 types. Let's just, let's just start it. Let's explain what they are. And then let's dig deep. 
All right, I'm in full support. Let's see if I could remember each one of them. But before, before I go into each one, what's important is that schemas are like a pair of sunglasses. So we put on, it's like we developed these shades at a really early age. And now we have these pair of sunglasses that are kind of distorting reality, our perception of how we understand ourselves and others in, in relationships. Yeah. So we have, we have an abandonment schema where we believe we're going to get abandoned in relationships. We have a failure schema where we believe we're going to fail at things. Uh, there's a social alienation schema where we believe that we're different. We have this yearning to belong. We don't feel like we fit in, right? We, we feel just like an alien. Uh, we have a self-sacrifice schema, which is very common for women. It's the belief that other people's needs are more important than our own. We may feel guilt or we may feel like we're, we may believe we're selfish if we put our own needs above others. Um, we also have the opposite of that is an entitlement schema where we believe that we deserve and our needs should come before others, uh, even at the cost of their needs. So that's an entitlement schema. Uh, we also have, oh, an emotional deprivation schema. So the emotional deprivation schema, it's this core belief that our needs will not get met in relationships. And this could show up at work or in our romantic relationships or with friends. And what people tend to do when they have this core belief is they tend to kind of oscillate between either never sharing their needs or making requests in relationships because they think they won't get met. Mm -hmm. or between kind of holding it all in until it's like a balloon ready to pop and you're kind of evacuating all of these needs and wants that haven't been met. And when you're doing that, you're also creating a self-fulfilling prophecy where those needs are less likely to get met because it's just flooding the other person. Right. So each of these schemas comes with certain behaviors that we've learned to do as a way to get rid of this pain. And these behaviors that were once adaptive in our adult lives end up creating the same pattern over and over again. It creates this self-fulfilling prophecy. So if I have a belief that I will be abandoned in relationships, uh, we would imagine that when I first developed this belief, it was true and it was adaptive. Probably someone in my early life did abandon me. Uh, then I learned certain coping mechanisms to deal with that pain. So maybe I started seeking excessive reassurance or getting really suspicious or maybe becoming really dramatic and falling apart. We stumbled on a strategy that worked to help relieve that pain. Now we do the same strategies as adults in our relationships and we just create these self-fulfilling prophecies. Okay. So this is so powerful because essentially I love that visual of having the sunglasses, you literally see the world as you are not as it actually is, but as you are. And so if we carry these schemas with us, like how, at what, how do you identify what you are? Like what, or what, however you phrase that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, you know, a therapist could sit with a person and help them dig and understand what their schemas are by asking, like, if that thought were true, what would that mean about you? If that thought was true. What... So you dig in, but also I have schema questionnaires on my website. So you could go to Bay area, cbtcenter.com or cbtonline.com. And I have both a relationship schemas questionnaire that tells you the kind of core beliefs you have in your romantic relationships. 
And I also have a workplace schemas questionnaire, and that will help you identify the core beliefs that show up for you at work. And that reminds me to a schema that I forgot that's actually the most common schema I see in all of my clients, which is perfectionism. So the perfectionism, oh, yeah. yeah, the perfectionism schema is having unrelenting standards. So you put very high demands and expectations on yourself and on others. And so there's this feeling of constant dissatisfaction. I should be better. I should be more, right? Kind of seeing the flaws rather than the things that you appreciate. So that actually is the most common schema that I see um, in, in people right now. And our society certainly contributes to that one. Absolutely. Do you, do you find that most people have different schemas in their relationship than they do in their workplace? No, I usually find that they have the exact same schemas. Okay. Yes. That makes they, sense. May, they may play out a little bit differently or have a different flavor, or they may even uh, involve different coping mechanisms. Mm. Um, like you may do a bit of a different behavior, but often the theme is the same and, and the, the belief is very similar. Okay. So I feel like, I feel like a lot of our listeners would resonate with, I mean, most of these I can like identify conversations that I've had with clients where I'm like, Oh, Oh, this makes sense. This is probably what she was seeing. Like, this is what she was viewing. Her lens was this, um, let's talk specifically about the failure schema and perfectionism, because I feel like those two are ones that probably a lot of people out there are like, Oh wait, that's me. I think I fail at everything. So how does someone even go about shifting that? Like what, like, what would you say? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the perfectionism schema and the failure schema are very similar, right? Because both of them sound like you could do something better or you're not enough or you're not yeah. good enough. Mm -hmm. But with the perfectionism schema, you will see somebody who's like a CEO, you know, or, or up, up there or having like a Nobel Peace Prize and they still, it's never enough, right? Yeah. With a failure schema, somebody is more paralyzed and it's very hard for them to take actions or they do certain behaviors that could be kind of sabotaging them. So, <clears throat> so with all the schemas, the work is kind of the same. We help people notice the automatic thoughts that are associated with each of these core beliefs. And, and, and what I do is I practice certain mindfulness exercises and what we call diffusion. And diffusion is making space from our minds. So for example, there's a lot of metaphors and experiential exercises where we learn to kind of almost take our mind like a physical object and kind of look at it, right? Like if I have a pair of sunglasses, I could look right through them as if they're on my head, or I could kind of take them off and look at them and go, oh, so this is what they do. This is how they distort. Yeah. And the more we understand that piece, the more space we have from the glasses. And we realize that we don't equal that those glasses. We kind of kind of take them off. We can look at them rather than through them. And there's a lot of experience. Yeah. And there's a lot of experiential exercises that we do to help people learn to relate to their minds in a different way. I love that. I love that. And that's so empowering because it really is the beliefs that we carry. We, we do, we connect them with who we are, with our sense of being our worth. Like that is our identity. That is who we are. And when you teach someone how to remove that and then to see it from an objective standpoint, Oh my gosh. Like that is so cool. I love that. 
Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because I I think like I'm a behavioral therapist. You know, everybody has a different orientation, but a lot of people are under the impression that we change our core beliefs by changing our thoughts. But actually, if you check in with your experience, it's very difficult to change automatic thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if I tell you, for example, not to think about something, if I say I'm going to tell you a number between one and three. And whatever you do, don't think about that number, right? It's the number that comes after one and before three. And this this number means you're a bad person. And this number means you're going to fail. And, you know, it's it's really bad to let this number cross your mind. You're more likely to have that thought, right? Kind of escalate and get stronger. Yeah. But what we can do is what the, the most recent advances in psychotherapy are about helping us change our relationship to the mind so that it no longer has the same control over our behaviors. And then when we take different actions, the more we take different actions that disconfirm these core beliefs, then those beliefs start shifting and changing. I love it. So that's how, that's what you would say. Like if someone's like, well, how do you even go about shifting the beliefs? Like these are so strong. I see them as who I am. And it's simply through taking the actions And then seeing those actions and the proof that they're creating as like, that's, that's your new belief is like, oh, it can be a different story. You know, this is the, I'm I'm giving you a very simple version of this, right? It (laughs) looks very complicated. There's a lot of metaphors and exercises and writing thoughts down. And I could do some of those exercises with you if you want, but yes, the idea The idea is that what I help clients do is I help them think about every thought that comes into your mind is like a hypothesis to be tested. There's always an experiment that can be done to see how true it is. Like if I, if I have a self-sacrifice schema and I believe, for example, that uh, if I say no, well, this is more, actually, this is more of a subjugation schema. So if I have a subjugation schema, I have this kind of fear, like if, if I put my needs first, I may get punished or I may get abandoned. Um, the relationship will be damaged if I make my, my needs matter. So it's really feeling engulfed in relationships. So if I have a subjugation schema and I have this hypothesis, this automatic thought, if I say no in my relationships, then I'm going to get punished. So if I say no to a task I want to do at work, I'm going to get fired or punished. If I say no to my partner, they'll abandon me. If I have this belief, what I help clients do is notice what kind of experiments can we do to test out this hypothesis? And who do we want to test this out? And every single thought is something that we could do in the world and see the evidence for and the evidence against. And we can also look at other people's schemas. Maybe somebody who has an entitlement schema is likely to punish me. Maybe somebody who has a self-sacrifice schema is likely to support me. But we start getting kind of curious and open to see what are the outcomes of certain behaviors that I do in the world. Okay. That's so interesting. Okay. Let's, you mentioned, you mentioned self-sabotage. This is one that... I get many questions about this. So I'm a health and wellness coach, business mentor. So I work with women in different capacities, but self-sabotage comes up a lot, both in their health journey. Like, okay, I'm getting results. I'm feeling better. I'm losing the weight. And then they literally like hit a wall and do the self-sabotage thing. Like, why does this happen? Where does this come from? 
And what I would say is that it really depends on the core belief, right? It depends on the lens that you have, right? Because those lenses end up creating the very thing that you fear. So if somebody has a perfectionism schema, their self-sabotage will look a little bit differently than, for example, someone who has a self-sacrifice or a failure schema. So for example, um, let's imagine that I have a huge paper due and I don't hand it in on time, right? And that I've kind of sabotaged myself. The person who has a perfectionism schema probably is writing the paper and then erasing every sentence, reading it over and over again, right? Doing uh, kind of working on it for days and weeks. And yet, because they're so perfectionistic, has not handed in the paper on time. Somebody who has a failure schema probably had a different coping strategy. Maybe they never got started on it, or maybe they distracted themselves. Uh, Somebody who has a self-sacrifice schema, maybe they never handed in their paper on time because their friend calls them in the middle of them writing and going, oh my goodness, I don't have my car. I need you to come pick me up, right? So there's all these different reasons for somebody to work against themselves, right? The clearer we are on what the core belief is, the more able we are to help them do different behaviors. Okay. So the first step one would be go to your site and take the quiz, like figure out, cause you have the quiz for the specific schemas, right? Yes. Yes. Two, one for workplace schemas and one right, for right. relationships. Okay. And so for instance, like, is it essential to take both of them or if someone just wants to know what their scheme is in life, like what, which one would they take? The yeah, I would take, one? I would take the relationship one. Yes. Okay. So y'all go do that and remind, remind us one more time where we can get that just in case they missed it earlier. Uh, on uh, bayareacbtcenter.com or cbtonline.com. Okay. And in CBT online, I have a lot of worksheets and tools for the, the exercises that you could do when you, when you recognize what the core beliefs are, there's all of these exercises that you could do with those to help you identify your values because the opposite side of like the same side of the same coin, our core beliefs are negative core beliefs on the opposite side of that coin are our values and what really matters to us. So for example, we could write down any negative thought about ourselves and we ask ourselves, what does this thought stop me from doing? So for example, if I have the thought, um, I'm a terrible writer, what does this thought stop me from doing? Has it stopped me from, uh, you know, writing my dissertation? Has it stopped me from, you know, maybe, you know, sending posts to uh, blogs or writing my own blog? What does it stop me from doing? And then you look at the, you write all of the things that those thoughts or feelings have stopped you from doing. You write all of those on the other side of the paper. And you'll see that that's going to give you all of the information about your values and what matters and the actions that are really important to you that you want to take. And then we do certain experiential exercises with that thought so that they're no longer acting as a barrier. So you don't have to get rid of the thought. You could have that thought in such a way where your relationship with it changes and it no longer acts as an obstacle to moving towards that action. I love that. I, and I think that's so important that like rewind that and listen to that part again, you guys, (laughs) this is so cool because I feel like lots of people think they're kind of broken when they they do all this work and they're like, I'm still having negative thoughts. I'm still experiencing this. And it's like, 
you're not broken, you're human. And now you get to learn how to navigate it. Now you get to learn. And I love that. You're just shifting your relationship with that thought. That's so empowering. Taking a quick time out from the show to make sure you know about the free video series that I just rolled out. This is specifically for my entrepreneur friends. And it is all about the three main disempowering beliefs that are likely stealing your joy and keeping you stuck in your business. So if you feel like you want to dig into this stuff and learn more about it so that you can move through it, go to micafolsomfit.com slash three blocks. Number three blocks. Yeah. And, and a lot of therapy is about changing our relationship to our thoughts and to our feelings and making friends with our feelings, bringing them closer and making distance from our thoughts so that they have less control. But it's really funny that you say that because it's a really important point is that people think that they're going to come to therapy and not have negative experiences anymore. And that is not the goal of therapy. I remember I saw this TED talk once. Uh, I don't remember the therapist's name, but she was talking about so many of my clients want to have the internal experiences uh, they have the goals of a dead person, right? Because only dead people are not right. Feeling right. Helpless or sad or alone or angry. So these feelings are not our enemy. These feelings are our guide. They show us what's important. They give us information about our underlying needs. Marshall Rosenberg, um, the creator of nonviolent communication, says that behind every negative feeling, there's an unmet underlying need. So our negative feelings are very important. When we learn to relate to them, kind of like a crying baby, when we can move towards them and listen to them and attune to them and put our hands on our hearts, be really loving with them, they could guide us about what we want to be about, what matters, what's important. I love this so much. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit because this is something, I mean, of course, everybody in a perfect world wants to feel joy and happiness and excitement and adventure and, and fulfillment. And those things are wonderful. Yep. And then they run from sadness and discomfort and, and all of those things that really we've, we've, we've equated them as good and bad. Right. And really emotions just are right. Right. That's exactly what our mind does. Our mind has made this decision at some point in our life. And then we continue to listen to it. Isn't it funny? Like a perfect example is we don't struggle with the weather the way we do with our experience. Like we all have different weather. Sometimes it's sunny and sometimes it's rainy. Sometimes it's night and sometimes it's day. But if it starts snowing, I don't go, why is it snowing? I can't stand that it's snowing. When will it stop yeah. snowing? Is it snowing because I'm bad? Is it snowing because I don't have enough friends? Is it snowing because I'm, 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 not, I'm not good enough? To, am I in the wrong job? What have I done that it won't stop snowing? Whereas if we just wake up one day and we feel insecure or we feel lonely, we have, our mind goes off the, the, the rails. It's like, we have to figure this out. There's a negative feeling. Let's figure out how to get out of it. But the answer out of a negative feeling is never through the mind. It's just never through the mind. Yeah. It's through experiencing it, listening to it, getting curious and really making the space in our body for all of our emotions so that we can understand what they're telling us about how to move forward. This is 
very intriguing to me. I love this so much. I love it. This is so good. So you, you mentioned, um, some of your daily habits and rituals and practices are self-compassion and mindfulness. So you kind of mentioned some of this as you're working through those emotions. What does that look like on a daily basis? How do you make this a part of your life? I, I tell my clients sometimes if I'm triggered, like in the middle of a grocery store, I will talk to myself. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I will be walking around with my hands on my heart, doing deep breathing, looking like, you know, I may have a disorder, but it's okay, <laughs> you know, Fine. because you're taking care of yourself. I'm just taking care of myself. And I really encourage everyone. It's like some of these techniques sound kind of silly or cheesy but there's so much scientific evidence behind them. There's so much scientific evidence about, for example, um, like polyvagal theory and what it's like when we have touch, right? When we are um, soothing ourselves, when we put our hand on our heart and it's not, you know, in the beginning, we may just go like this, right? Like, oh, I'll just put it here. It may just be something we force ourselves to do, but then we get better and better at, at, at slowing it down at putting our hand deeply on our heart, putting the other one deeply on the other hand and like rubbing it and feeling the warmth coming deep into our heart and kind of sending ourselves this like, this deep breath and sigh of like, I'm just a human being. It makes sense that I feel scared. It makes sense that I feel lonely. I don't have to figure this out. Where is this in my body right now? What is this experience like? Noticing when you're, like this tightening up, going like, I don't want to have this, this is all right. Versus yeah. going, oh, like this, this sucks, but I could have this, like, this is, I'm a human being. And you could even, I really love Pema Chodron. She has this idea of a Tonglin meditation, which I think is one of the most beautiful things where you literally, you have a pain. For example, you notice that you're feeling rejected and insecure and adequate. And you just notice, and you think about all of the people in the world right in this moment, feeling this pain. All of the people in all of the universe feeling rejected, inadequate, not good enough. And you start doing this meditation where you breathe in everybody's pain, you breathe in all the inadequacy and the fear and the insecurity in the whole world, you breathe it in and you make, you take deep breaths, expanding your belly, breathing in everybody's pain and suffering, being willing to have more of the pain and then breathing out this wish for relief from that pain, this um, kind of breathing out almost like, you know, this whew, wish for everyone to be free of the suffering. But it feels radically different because it doesn't feel like I don't want this pain and you shouldn't have this pain. It doesn't feel like that. It feels more like we're in this together and I don't want this pain, but I have it and you have it. And, and, and we're all just doing our best. And may you be free. Like, may you love yourself. May you accept yourself as you are. We can all handle this pain. The, the more that we have this capacity to have our experiences in our body, the more freedom we have, we become this kind of like very astute behavioral, right? Like we're in such a mindful place where we have all of these options. Suddenly we see we could do A or we could do B or we could do C. 
Because when we are struggling to get out of the experience, we lose all touch. We go, we could either say yes or no. You know, we could either get fired or do everything we hate. We don't see all of this other space because we're attempting to get rid of something that's unavoidable, right? Yeah, I love that. That made me think how just with everything that has been going on the past couple of years with, <laughs> with everything in the world, how would you advise, like, I feel like it's been like social media has been really hard for a lot of people to even get on because they just feel everything that's happening. And then they kind of get stuck in that place. And you, you kind of touched on it there when you talk about breathing through it and and taking that and taking it in and then releasing it. And how would you advise someone who, is that what, is that what you would call an em, empath when they feel everything? Like, how would you advise someone who is that personality and that where you, you maybe deal with someone who's struggling and then you all of a sudden feel like you're in the struggle with them and you want to have compassion, but how do you stay in a place where you can protect your energy? And it's like all this balancing act. It's so much. <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned this because I, I just recently did a webinar uh, to help victims of narcissistic abuse. And we talk about cultivating the process of detached empathy. Okay. So, and that's a much longer conversation <laughs> than, than we have the time for, but it's specifically towards people who are kind of spongy, right? And then we, we, we mistake, yeah. we mistake the idea of empathy as taking someone's pain on rather than just yes. rather than this meditation, right. Of, of a wish for relief, but without responsibility, without me feeling like I have to fix it for you or change it for you. So it's like the more we're unwilling to have our own pain, the harder it is for us to allow other people to also have their own pain yeah. and kind of step back, like, and drop the control, drop the control with my experience and also drop the control with your experience or take responsibility that I'm the cause of your experience. And so um, certainly this Tonglen meditation is a great thing to do in those moments, but also it's really important to take necessary action. Like if you are on social media very frequently, you are going to be really impacted by it, right? So there's different things you need to do, right? Yeah. You got to practice detached empathy and that's a, a longer conversation. You know, you got to, practice this tongue and meditation or helping yourself make space for difficult emotions. And you have to take actions, right. Uh, regarding not being on social media for like four hours and not doing things that are going to make you feel worse. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, so I work with a lot of women. I mean, we build our businesses online. So it's been such an interesting dynamic. Cause it's like, we want, we need to be there in some capacity, we can't just like close it down and not show up, but that's what some people have done. They're like, I just can't right now. And I'm like, Oh, I just, I just want you to be able to handle it like in a healthy way. Cause I don't know that was just hard. I mean, I, I, I can imagine that would be so heavy to feel like you are taking on everyone's burdens, taking on everyone's pain and then just keeping it there. Like that's a lot. Well, uh, one interesting thing to think about is the difference between cold empathy versus warm empathy. So cold empathy is, um, it's kind of cognitive empathy. 
and, and warm empathy is affective empathy. So for example, um, people who have narcissistic personality disorder are extremely high on cold empathy. So what that means is that they're very, they're very effective at being able to understand what the other person is feeling and thinking. They have great perspective taking skills but they are very low on warm empathy or effective empathy. So they're not feeling it. They're not getting impacted by it. Does that make sense? Somebody else, if, if for example, people who are on the autistic spectrum, it's a big myth that they have uh, low empathy. They're actually low on cognitive empathy, cold empathy, but they're, they're either, um, average or above average on warm empathy. So they have a difficulty telling what the other person is thinking or feeling. But if you say, hey, no, I feel really sad, they feel for you, right? They empathize from their heart with you. And so we that want- That reminds me of like puppies. Like aren't- <laughs> Right. Sorry, aren't, aren't aren't dogs really like they, they like are very intuitive. Like they are in tune with that. Isn't that absolutely puppies are all warm empathy, warm empathy. And they're like, what are you actually? Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And and people, people who, um, you know, are empaths or highly sensitive people. These are people that their cold empathy could be high or, or, or normal, or it could even be low, but their affective empathy, their warm empathy is so high that they are kind of spongy and they take on what other people are feeling. And not only that, but they also take this responsibility that they feel like they are the cause of it or they're responsible for trying to fix it. And it's hard for them to kind of take a step back and do the same work that they do with their own experiences for others. Trust the universe, trust that this is out of your control and the universe, they are on their own path and their own journey. I love that. That's such a beautiful way of describing what, what is going on with so many people right now. And it just helps me understand also like, cause we're all so different. So it just really helps the sponge that is like perfect in my brain. I'm like, okay, I can see how that would, that would, you're soaking up all of it. And then the taking responsibility that I think is the biggest thing. They that feel is. that responsibility. Yeah. Uh, what I like to do with people who take that kind of responsibility is I like, see, again, it's like you can't change certain like s- strategies. So you have to not necessarily get rid of them, but change them around a little bit. So, for example, if somebody has a hard time saying no and they're taking responsibility for someone, like let's imagine that, um, let's imagine that your, your friend his car breaks down and they're like, I really need to borrow your car. I'm going to lose my job. I really need this. And they're having a hard time saying no, they're taking responsibility for that. And they keep saying yes. Um, They think that they're doing the other person a good service and that they've been helpful. And actually what I want them to notice is that not only are you doing a behavior that doesn't benefit you, Every time we do a behavior that is self-sacrificing, we actually, for the collective, don't do a behavior that helps the other person. So if you're training the other person that every time they panic, you say yes, you're now cultivating and developing a person who's going to be increasing panic and, right, and, 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 and is not going to be able to be self-sufficient. 
So you're robbing them of their own self-sufficiency. And so if you want to take responsibility, the responsibility, the responsibility looks like, would you be willing to have this guilt and this pain, right? And this discomfort, if it means that A, the other person may move towards becoming more self-sufficient uh, and, and take better care of themselves, right? Be more independent. Um, also, I, I say things like, you know, what if every time you say no, you're helping all of the other people with a self-sacrifice schema, all of the people that have a hard time saying no, you're modeling for them. You are creating in the universe a way for everybody who struggles with saying no to, to do it. And so then you're take, you're still taking responsibility, but you're taking responsibility in a way that's effective for you and effective for others and is not taking, is not taking responsibility for something that is out of your control. Yes. I love that so much. This reminds me of motherhood, <laughs> five kids. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I do this. Like so oftentimes it's just easier to say yes at my expense. And like, then to say no and like, make sure that they're like becoming independent children and all those things, like just just different situations like popped up as soon as you were talking about that. I'm like, oh shoot. Oh no. <laughs> right. And, and it's so interesting. Perfect. It's so, so interesting how oh, our minds. This is so I love this. This is so good. I feel we took a little bit of a pivot from some of the schemas, but I think that is so just relevant with everything that's going on with the world right now. So I'm so glad that you dove into that. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how our mind can um, fool us into thinking that we're doing something selfless when we mm-hmm. kind of acquiesce, right? Or sacrifice. And yeah. sometimes it's actually quite, it's really about us not having this pain more so than helping the other person. Yeah. And that's such an interesting shift too. As far as, um, I know one of the biggest roadblocks for a lot of women who are listening, there are lots of entrepreneurs lots of women who are trying to build something for their family. And yet they struggle with that constant tug of, is this being selfish? I'm taking away from my family. I'm taking away time from my kids. I'm taking away. And it's like, it's that just finding that sweet spot of how that all aligns with everything. Like, how are you, what are you giving to your children by doing this by, I don't know. I just feel like it's such a personal thing that everyone's just got to navigate and figure out. This, uh, I see this in my female clients. Uh, This is a very common issue. I mean, we live in a society that really conditions us, Mm -hmm. you know, to be in relation to another. I mean, if you think about it, men are Mr. and we are Mrs. or Miss. And so our entire bright schemas, like the, the, the schema that is about being female is about being in relation to somebody else and meeting their needs. And, and, and your whole kind of um, identity is around, you know, whether you are in relation to somebody else, whether you are a missus or a mother and whether you are, right, um, kind of not being selfish and, and being nurturing. And so, and now we're having a paradigm shift with it. Things are changing in the world. And so, you know, we have to kind of relearn, relearn, kind of change the word selfish and change it into something empowering. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good to be taking care of yourself. <laughs> it's good. It's good to, to care about the self, to make the self important. Yeah. I always, I always think back to just the idea that 
as women, before we became moms, like we were our own beings, we were our own self. And then all of a sudden it's like you, and then you're attached to all of these other little humans and you, you still have a life like you, right. So important that you continue to fulfill your desires, your heart, while also nurturing and loving and doing all the things that you want to do as a mom. So, well, I always come back to very basic behavioral ideas, because when we look at behavioral, you know, um, research, you could look at, does it help more? Is it, do other people learn from what we say or what we do? And actually people learn much more from what we do than what we're saying. So what that means that as a mother, if you have kids, you modeling for them what it looks like to take care of yourself, to say no, to be your own separate entity, but to negotiate fairly yeah. is, is actually going to help them be more independent and more self-sufficient and to take better care of themselves than taking their responsibility and doing it for them. So it's actually the harder thing to do, but it is the more powerful thing to do because they could now see a human being that is modeling for them something that we don't really see modeled for us very often in a society, right? We don't see modeled for us what what is it, right? Like we learn science in school, we learn algebra in school, but we don't learn what are feelings? What are needs? How do I negotiate my needs? When do I compromise? Uh, and when is it sacrifice? You know, when is it a fair negotiation? And, and when is it imbalanced? And so um, when we're modeling for our kids, all, all of these kinds of things, uh, that is a better gift than giving them that chocolate in the moment or right. having them watch that show that just keeps them not upset in the moment. Yeah. That's such a powerful reminder. It really is. It's always harder in the moment, but so worth it. And it's just like reminding yourself, this is, this, this is what I need to be doing. I need to be helping my kids be strong, independent, healthy children, not spoiled, rotten, blah, blah. blah. Like that's, that's the easier situation. That's the easier route. Right. (laughs) The new super beats heart shoes advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And, and, and honestly, I always think about it in terms of schemas. The more I self-sacrifice, the more entitled you become. And I don't want you to grow up with an entitlement schema, because then in the world, um, it's going to be more difficult for you. Totally. I don't want you to grow up with a self-sacrifice schema either. But I want you to kind of notice that there is a place where negotiation can be fair. And I think that the dilemma with the politics of what's going on and and COVID and the way that everybody's splitting, Mm -hmm. we're not getting enough models for what it looks like to come up with win-win negotiations. When I work with couples, um, I'm a firm believer that any scenario, there's always a win-win situation that works out for both people. You may not get your ideal situation, 
Maybe neither person gets their ideal, but neither person falls into an intolerable situation. Both people get the good enough, and that is a fair win-win in negotiation. In this society, we don't have that much kind of witnessing of that, right? We just see what it looks like when one person wins and gets what they want and another person loses. Yeah. Gosh, this is like, oh man, (laughs) I love this stuff. It like really makes my brain explode and be like, oh my word. Like this stuff is all around us everywhere. Everywhere. Of life. Like that's. Yeah. Okay. I love this. I'm going to go to your website after this and take the quiz. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like the more we understand this awareness is so empowering. So we can't change what we don't know. So this is just awesome. I'm so happy that this is resonating with you. Yes. It's so cool. So you guys go to her website. We'll put it in the show notes. Where else can they find you? Is your website the best place to connect with you? Um, Well, I have a Facebook page on Bay Area CBT Center. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. um, But the best place to visit me is either cbtonline.com or bayareacbtcenter.com. Awesome. Well, Abby, I loved having you on. Thank you so much for taking time out and sharing with us your wisdom. I really am getting off of this and going to take the quiz because I'm super intrigued to find out what my schemas are and how I can kind of work through those things. Yeah, it was really, really fun chatting with you. It was, yeah, I had a great time. Good. Well, thank you so much, you guys. And if you find that this was valuable to you and you're like, oh my gosh, I need more of this stuff, go find her website, go connect with her, go dig into her courses and her resources that she has. This work is so powerful. So I love what you do. I love what you're all about. And just Mm -hmm. thank you. Keep sharing. Thank you. It was very sweet, very touching. Of course. Thank you for, for, thank you for being on. And you guys, if you found this helpful, tag me on Instagram at Micah Folsom fit with your favorite nuggets, share it with your friends who you feel like would benefit from this. And we will see you back here next week. Wrapping up another episode. And I just want to thank you for sticking around before you head out. I would love to hear from you. It would mean the world to me. If you left this podcast, a quick review, wherever you're listening from. And if you got some nuggets from the message today, don't forget to share it with your friends, your team, and your Instagram story so that anyone else who needs it can find it too. And be sure to tag me at Micah Folsom fit so that I can shout you out and share your page with my friends. Thanks for hanging. Now let's go take action on those goals and dreams because if you can feel it in your heart and see it in your head, then you can hold it in your hand. So until next time, go do your craft.